I mean, honestly, the big takeaway is that I will never be able to listen to All as Well without thinking of Jake Gyllenhaal. Oh, I really, I, I am sorry that I burst that bubble. I didn't realize that you didn't know this, like, major piece of pop culture no, news. That, that's on me. That's definitely on me. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Feeling It, a podcast where we discuss TV, movies, pop culture, and whether or not we are feeling it. If this is your first time joining us, welcome to the show. And here we go. Come on, walk and talk. Right, here we go. You guys want to hear something neat? It's showtime! Hold your ears, folks. Here we go! See what you can do now. Take your position. All right, ladies, buckle up. Let's do this. Hold on to your butts. Seriously? Listen to me very, very carefully. Hey, it's me again. Eat him up. Enjoy. Hello, hello, everyone. Welcome to Feeling It. Each week on this show, we like to share what pieces of pop culture we're really feeling. Whatever show, movie, song, or tech, we just can't get out of our heads. In addition to those picks, this week we'll be discussing Taylor Swift's surprise album, Evermore, and Steven Soderbergh's latest film, Let Them All Talk. But before we get started with all of that, let's introduce ourselves. And when we do, let's answer the question... What piece of news from last week's big Disney announcement is the most exciting to you? I'm Luke Strider, designer in Chicago, and uh, there, there was a lot of news. A lot of it has been doled out over the last couple years, but there were like some specific things that were announced, but everything was talked about at the Disney announcement. Um, so I think the thing that I am most excited about coming out from Disney in the next couple years is a Star Wars series called The Acolyte. It's show run by Leslie Headland. Um who's the creator of Russian doll. Um, and it's a mystery thriller set in the days of the high Republic. So that's, I guess around the episode two, episode three, um, timeline as far as the movies go. So I mean, I'm excited about that. I think Leslie Hedlund's great. I would love to see anything that she creates. So I too am excited about all of that. Um, Leslie Hedlund, I'm just anything she works on. I'm going to be excited to check out. Um, I am Sandra Omstutz. I'm a social media manager in Nashville, Tennessee, and there's a bunch that really excited me, but I can't deny the fact that the thing I'm probably the most excited about is that they are, you know, doing sort of a sequel and adding to the Mighty Ducks cinematic universe by doing a series with Emilio Estevez reprising his role as Coach Gordon Bombay, um... And doing a Mighty Ducks series on Disney+. Plus, That is very exciting to me. Mighty Ducks is probably just like my favorite sports films of all time. And as a child, just some of the, my favorite movies growing up. And the tra- I watched the trailer for the new series. It looks sweet and family-based and charming um, in the way that most Disney Plus series look. But let me tell you, there was one joke in there that really, really got me, and that gives me a lot of hope um, for the rest of the series. So I can't wait. That sounds awesome. I actually hadn't heard about that till you mentioned it now. So that's uh, definitely something I'm excited about. Did you like the Mighty Ducks movies? Oh, yeah. I don't know any kid in the 90s who wasn't obsessed with the Mighty Ducks movies. Let me tell you how obsessed my family was about the Mighty Ducks movies. We grew up in South Texas. There isn't an ice rink in for hours and my cousin had a full set of hockey gear because we <laughs> love the mighty ducks movie so much well i'll tell you growing up in new mexico again another place that isn't super known for you know snow and <laughs> for ice. ice exactly um yeah everybody we played a lot of street hockey we were yeah. all well i we're, we'll be looking forward to when that comes out before we get into all the taylor swift and the steven soderbergh talk 
I do want to know, Lucas, what are you feeling this week? So the movie that won South by Southwest this year um, is a college comedy called Shit House, And a lot of people have been talking about it. And I kept thinking, oh, my gosh, am I going to have to watch this movie? That sounds so dumb. And um, many people, like all throughout the years, people have been, or the years. <laughs> it the, feels <laughs> like it's been years. The, the, the four years that yes. 2020 has been. Um, no, but many people have been talking about it. And the way they've been describing it that I've been hearing is the name Shithouse is the name of a college uh, party house. And it's about a freshman in college who's, you know, it's it's set around a bunch of these college parties. And in my mind, that's just, uh, it's not not interesting to me at all. So, um, so the the reason I watched this movie is is actually, Sandra, based on your, your description of it, which Thank is you. eighth grade meets before sunrise, which sounds perfect for me. So, and that that's really what this movie is. It's a it's it's a movie about a time of life that I think everybody is viscerally familiar with about starting a new section of your life, um, in a new place, um, set around a, basically a long long conversation or long conversations with with someone who's going through similar and different things. And so I I just adored this movie. I thought it was really really amazing. Um and I do think everybody should should watch it. It's 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 this is written directed and starred in by uh a 23-year-old named Cooper Rafe. Oh, it's just I'm so impressed. It's I am excited to see everything this guy ever does from here on out. So I, similarly to you, didn't really know what this movie was about, but I had heard just that, like, oh my god, this kid, and you know, I'm saying kid because he's 23 years old, um, who, like, wrote, starred, and directed this movie, he's going to be someone to watch, you know, like, wow, every, really impressed by this particular guy. Um, and that alone made me interested in the movie, um, because I always love like getting in at the forefront of new talent. And um, so I watched this movie again with very like, with not really any expectations um, and was blown away by it. I adored this movie. Um, it's, I think it's everything you said it was. It captures just like this. It's very funny. It's both super emotionally intelligent while being still a comedy. It's just kind of about like a different kind of guy than most collegiate comedies are about, you know, um, which I find incredibly refreshing. And I super appreciate having a story told about this kind of young man in college versus I think, you know, whoever stars in, what the Will Ferrell crowd appreciates in a college comedy. Um, so that, I, I think it was, I think it's a really beautiful movie. And yeah, I did describe it as eighth grade meets before sunset. And those are two of my favorite movies of all time. So, um, that's me saying only good things about this film. Um, I love this movie so much that I, I wrote a little film review of it and that's getting published today at, hyperrealfilm.club is a film website run by people that I know and love and um, so if you're interested in hearing more of my thoughts on that I wrote that plus a list um, added to it is a list of other films like Shithouse where two people kind of just talk for the whole movie and um, I'd be happy for y'all to go check that out Um, yeah Uh, so yeah I Shithouse is just easily at the top of my list for the year. I think it's really excellent. Yeah, totally. Okay, well, 
let me tell you about what I'm feeling this week, which is something that um, is very, very brand new to me. I literally discovered it at 1 a.m. last night. So um, I can't speak to having a ton of experience with it yet, but it's something I'm excited about nonetheless. Last night, I discovered that Cassie David, who is uh, Larry David's daughter, she's a comedian, writer, actress that I really enjoy um, online. She, with a friend, created an iOS app, a game, um, called Vapid Fire. And Vapid Fire is self-described as um, the game for people with a vast knowledge of things that don't matter. It's like if Scategories and Cards Against Humanity had a dumb millennial Instagram baby. Um, and so what it really is, is like a game for the pop culture obsessed of this generation. Um, and that describes me. And I love to play games that I know I can win. Um, the holidays are coming up, and I know that like when you gather around with family, at least my family, we're always trying to like look for a game that we can all play. Now, this isn't probably a game you could play with parents as easily, but maybe with your cousins and your siblings if you're going to be with family this year. Um, or if you're stuck in a pod and not visiting family, this is a game for y'all to pass the time. So the way that you play this game is um, the app provides you with different card categories. Um, and everyone ha in your group has one minute to write as many answers that fit the category as possible. Um, some of the categories, examples, could be, I'm pulling up my app, um, text you don't want to receive, um, things you Google during puberty, trendy pet breeds, um, TikTok stars, fashion trends of the late five years, Drake lyrics that are Instagram captions. So it's just kind of like fun categories that relate to, again, people of our age that are a little bit pop culture focused. And um, you write as many down, each person writes as many down as they can in one minute. And then after the minute, you kind of all share your answers and decide as a group whether, like, which answers are valid or not. And then you get a point for every original answer you came up with. So something that no one else in the group said. Um, and then whoever has the most points at the end is, uh, as they describe, um, the winner who should probably rethink what they're using the space in their brain for. Um, it seems really fun and very up my alley. And so I'm very much looking forward to playing this with a group of friends or um, my brother and sister-in-law over the holidays. So, um, yeah, that's my vapid fire is my, is what I'm feeling this week. That sounds exciting. I, I don't think I have the kind of group that would be good at a game like that. <laughs> really? Yeah. We're just I, like, I feels very young. Like it feels like there's a lot of like the younger memes. Well, sure. That's true. But that could also be part of the fun because I think part of the fun could also be being creative and that's true, you know, and you, your own group is your own judge, so yeah, um, that's also part of the fun of it. I'm down to try it out for yeah. sure. I don't like a gold rush, gold rush. I don't like anticipating my face in a red flush. I don't like that anyone would die to feel your touch. Everybody wants you. Everybody wonders what it would be. Okay, 
transition into talking about something that I've been so excited to talk about. A few months ago, Taylor Swift released Folklore, and we did an in-depth, you know, um, review coverage of it. Um, Just this past week, she's released another album, Out of the Blue, called Evermore, and I really want to talk to you about it. And before we get into it, though, I want to ask you, now that we've had a couple of months to sit with Folklore, um, last time when we reviewed it, it was just days after it had come out, um, I want to know how you're feeling about Folklore, and have any of your thoughts changed since the last time we talked about it? Uh, Folklore is uh, amazing. It's (laughs) it's still really good. I... um... I, I think what's what's been interesting about folklore is it's continued just to grow um, in all the same things. So, so I don't think um, – and a lot of in a lot of Taylor Swift albums, I feel like things change. Like there's a song that you like that um, later you realize isn't as good as you thought it was or there are other songs that you kind of dismissed at first and they kind of grow in your estimation as time goes on. Uh, for me, folklore has been very consistent. Is How I felt about it immediately is how I have felt about it. It's so consistent. I feel like it's so consistent, um, and I love it. It's so did good. Did you get a chance to watch her Disney Plus studio session? I did not. I did okay. not. So, or uh, the Netflix documentary, Mrs. Americana. Yeah. But I need to. I do. Um, my response to Folklore, my love for it has only grown since we last spoke. And I liked it a lot when we talked about it. But since we last talked, I have really really fallen into this album a folklore i mean and uh, last time i think we when we were talking there were three songs that i were i was a little if- iffy on um compared to the rest that has now narrowed down to one that <laughs> the two of those songs i have fallen in love with you know, you know after li- listening to them over and over and um hoax is still a song that i couldn't I've, I've listened to this album for months. I've watched the Long Pond, stu- Pond Studio Sessions twice. If you asked me what Hoax was about, I could not tell you. <laughs> <laughs> so Hoax is just a lost cause for me. But other than that, I think Folklore is really profound. And I think you're right. Consistent is the correct word. Um, it's a gut punch throughout. And um, so the fact that we're still living with such an excellent album of hers is what makes Evermore even more of a shock than it normally would be, right? Mm-hmm. Um, like, Folklore was a shock, but it was so exciting because, like, Lover had come out, like, I don't know, like, nine months before. And so it was to the point where I wasn't listening to Lover every day, you know? Um, I was really ready to receive new Taylor music, to be Honest, I'm always ready to receive new Taylor Swift music. <laughs> um, but with Evermore coming out recently, I'm kind of, you know, like, oh, I'm I'm still, you know, with folklore. You know, I, I don't know that I'm ready to accept new music into my heart. How do you feel about how fast this album has come out in relation to folklore? Yeah, no, I, I, I feel the exact same way. I feel like I was still living in that folklore lore world and i it's it's like when someone gives you food um right after you've had food and you're just like oh no no, right no no no, no. (laughs) i'm not not at all hungry um but i think having it be in the same vein as folklore um feels good to me it feels like it fits right in and i can kind of enjoy and and kind of 
continue to revel in them together. Um, right. If it had been a completely different thing, um, I, f- I feel like I would have just maybe listened to it once and never touched it again just to come back to folklore um, separately. Yeah, I mean, Taylor Swift is calling it a sister album to folklore, um, which feels incredibly appropriate. Um, I think my natural inclination when this happens is to immediately, of course, compare the two, right? Um, so I can't help myself from doing that constantly as I'm listening to Evermore. But at the same time, um, I don't remember which reviewer it was, but someone said, like, if Evermore is folklore sister, like, don't make a mother choose her favorite. You know what I mean? Like, it it feels almost wrong to try to compare them or, or choose between them because they are so similar and because they came so close together. Um, I've, you know, lived with folklore for months and listened to it on my birthday and watched this documentary twice. It's hard to live up to that much love and affection I have for it with an album that I've only had for a few days. Yeah. Um, so that being said, I still am going to compare the two, but I also, I just want to acknowledge that like all of these thoughts are pretty fresh And, like, if you ask me in three months from now, I might have more, a completely different set of thoughts on Evermore than I do at this quite particular moment. Oh, a hundred percent agree. I think, um, obviously, like, with uh, folklore, obviously with folklore, I think my my views are set and they will continue to grow and evermore it is going to be a completely changing landscape. I think um, she's trying out a lot more things here. Um, So it's... I, I love the experimental nature of mm. some of the things, but I think with that, some of the things just aren't going to, aren't going to yeah. land as well. Whereas obviously, you know, folklore is super consistent. I love that album and evermore. There's going to be some, some bangers that I really come out of this um, loving. And there are going to be some songs that I never really listened to. Yeah. I feel a little bit similar to you. I think um, when I think about folklore, Again, having lived with it for a while, these weren't my thoughts the day of, you know, listening to it, but, and I look at each song on that album, um, I think every song on that album, with the exception of Hoax, which I just don't have a lot of, I'm just like, uh, like apathetic when it comes to Hoax, you know, um, is, every song can either be classified as good, good, great, or amazing in my opinion. Um, and on Evermore, I think there's some fine, good, great, amazing. And, um, that means that this is still a really great album, but you're right. The consistency is not there. Um, like folklore has and, um, folklore also just themed, seemed, Consistent in quality and also, like, thematically, right? Um, whereas Evermore, like you said, feels like she's just trying a bunch of different stuff. But that's also really fun and exciting. And, I, like, a, a mostly great Taylor Swift album versus a completely great Taylor Swift album is fine by me. <laughs> like, I will never complain about having more... Yeah. Taylor Swift writing offered to me. Seriously. Um, so I do want to like, let's get into the album itself. Um, what are your standout tracks, Lucas? Yeah. So I've got a few, I think, I mean, 
starting off the album willow is a song that i think is really interesting i have a lot of fun with it um i think musically like the way the guitar is done in that that song i think just <laughs> can be expanded upon for so long i i i really think it's interesting um kind of what she's done with it um i think a, a song that I love lyrically the best, I think, is probably um, Tis the Damn Season. I think that song is just absolutely beautiful. Like, the storytelling in it is truly amazing. Um, and so that's that's a song that I've been revisiting a ton right now. Um, and then I think Ivy is, like, the pop banger for me. It is the most catchy. It's the one that I, I, I keep singing all the time. Um, and I think I think for me, like, right off the top, those are the three that, that really stand out to me the most. But I could, I could also see that changing. I think with Folklore, I felt very... Uh, uh, concrete in my in my favorites and this i could see it changing in a month right yeah i i agree i can see like with folklore my favorite songs on folklore are still my favorite and this is one that i could see every week my favorites kind of change um totally um i want to talk about willow for a second because willow is one of the songs on this album that i'm having a hard time grasping oh really um Especially because it is her, the one that she's chosen as like the single that right. she's really promoting, so mm-hmm. it's it's not something that I can really avoid, you know. Um, there's a there's a line in the chorus that says, "The more you say, the less I know," and that's kind of how I feel about Willow as a whole. Like <laughs> musically, I think I agree. It's so fun and catchy, like. I will happily listen to Willow in the car, you know, and sing along with it. I'm not mad at it. Lyrically, I, it is all over the place. And I don't really have, like, a grasp on what Willow's about. If I like the lyrics, you know, it, it's not working for me on that level. Um, and so that's one of my... I, I'm start, I am starting negative, I guess. <laughs> I usually don't mean to, but... Yeah. Um, I'm just confounded by it. I want to like it because, again, I it's so fun to listen to and catchy. And yet I still haven't, you know, nailed down what she's saying in this song. Um, I guess it's also frustrating for me because this is the song she's putting out, like, remix after remix for. And that this is not the song on the album that I want tons of different remixes of, you know? Yeah, um, that makes sense the song on the album that I would really love a lot of different remixes of is tis the damn season. Um, (laughs) because that song has potential to sound so different in so many styles, you know? Yeah, that's true. Um, I think like there's this version sounds very fitting for the folklore evermore universe that she has, but there's a, I can tell there is a cheerier, poppy Taylor Swift that could do a version of that song. I think there's a j- Jingle Bell Christmas version of that song that could be very cheeky. Um, and I think there's an even more, like, cut-down acoustic piano version of Tis the Damn Season that could be really good. And I'm like, Taylor Swift, it's sitting right there for you. Like, <laughs> but yeah. I agree with you. Tis the Damn Season is wonderful. Um, it's, it is a rom-com Hallmark movie of a song, but with a Taylor Swift edge that's always nice. And I, I find myself singing that constantly. I love that song. Um, my favorites on the album, though, um, no surprise, 
is that like one of my favorites is the Jack Antonoff song Gold Rush. I mean, I, I I'm just a Jack Antonoff girl through and through, and so I I knew it was his before I even you know I just knew it was his, and I and it was my favorite on the album or one of my favorites. It's hard to have a singular favorite on this one, but Gold Rush is so sexy. I think it's one of her sexiest songs. Taylor Swift is. Taylor Swift does do sexy, but in a very specific way. Like, she doesn't, you know, she doesn't get explicit. And Gold Rush is like, oh, this is this is the way Taylor Swift can be sexy, you know, or, or expresses sexuality. And I adore it. I think the rhythm of the chorus, I love how hard it is to catch for myself. But that's so fun. Um, Gold Rush also feels like her most not cinematic like visually but like I can hear it in a movie like I can picture the movie scenes that will be using gold rush as a needle drop you know yeah um so I'm really in love with gold rush yeah I think um I think gold rush is one of the best beats on this album I think yeah I think the way Jack Andonoff mixes um her voice sounds so good with low drums and i think just that that rhythm that you've get going with gold rush is just yeah so good the other jack antonoff song that i I think you mentioned that i adore of course is ivy um i fully agree with you that chorus and ivy i think is the best chorus on the album like so catchy oh my gosh i mean the lyric alone um i'm i'm pulling it up sorry First of all, it ha- it's Taylor cursing, which is always a joy for <laughs> and me. she's ramped it up, too. It's um, been a slow progression since Lover. We'd love to see it. Um, but to start the chorus with, oh, goddamn, my pain fits in the palm of your freezing hand. Mm. What a perfect Taylor Swift line. And to have that as the chorus line that you sing over and over throughout the song. Um, that's, a, that's one thing about Taylor Swift is, like, so many of her lines are so delicious, but they're often in verses where you only get to sing them once, you know? Um, so for her to put something that great right there in the chorus is so fun. Um, plus this song is just really beautiful. Um, it's beautiful, like visually, conceptually, um, musically. I, I really, really adore it. Um, I have so many stories building in my head as I'm listening to it. And I think it's, What's great about it is it is a storytelling song, um, but it's pretty vague so that there's lots of different stories you can tell. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, versus something like a Betty or um, a Last Great American Dining. Like, those are very specific stories. You know, you're just kind of there along for the ride. Ivy sparks your imagination in a lot of really cool ways. Yeah, for me, this um, is the one that, like, I'm excited for people to get their hands on and uh, get to see some, like, uh, some famous remixes and, and, and covers yes. of, of, uh, of Ivy. Totally. Uh, on the night that the album came out, you know, I'm, I'm browsing Twitter for all the reactions, and someone I follow immediately said, I want Dolly Parton to cover Ivy. <laughs> I mean, how incredible would that be? I mean, honestly, Dolly Parton covering any Taylor Swift song would be amazing. <laughs> sure. I think she would... I think this is, like, the perfect song for her. Yeah. And, like, this song is, like, kind of very clearly about someone who is in a relationship, um, like, falling for someone else. And someone else is, like, finding comfort and love and beauty in, like, another partner. Um, But, you know, we've talked about, like, 
gender and queerness a lot before and, Taylor, and its relation to Taylor Swift. This is a song that I think, like, probably on its face to most people, seems like a woman who's, like, met a, a married woman who's met another man. Um, but I, because there are no pronouns other than the fact that the main character has a husband, this song reads very queer to me. And not, like, again, by design. Just, like, the place my imagination goes is this feels very much like, um, like, two married women who, like, find each other. And I think, like, there is a beautiful story to be found in Ivy. I just, I really adore it. Um, but here's the thing. Even though Gold Rush and Ivy, my Jack Antonoff songs, are, like, at the top for me, I think that my favorite song on the album, or the song that I think means the most to me, um, is Cowboy Like Me. Really? Interesting. I'm, that definitely surprises well, me. Well, Lucas, I'm surprised that you're surprised because this song is about con artists. And <laughs> is there anything I love more in storytelling? It's true, in storytelling. Than, a, than con artists, particularly con artists falling in love with each other, which is what this song is about. I, I, this song is just right up my alley, mostly, you know, and because of its subject matter. But also, I think, like, musically and the way it's sung, like... There are certain songs that you're like, this is a Taylor Swift song, only like this song makes sense for Taylor Swift to sing. Mm -hmm. And then sometimes she writes a song that I'm like, wow, I can picture so many people singing this song. You know, like this song is so good that I can picture Casey Musgrave singing this song. I can picture Lana Del Rey. I can picture Phoebe Bridger singing this song. I, I, I can picture like, um... Orville Peck obviously singing this song and I'm sticking with kind of a, a more country vibe but like even artists outside of con- country I think could definitely pull this off it's so so strong and I also have an affection for it because I have my own little Taylor mythologies that I kind of like will um, relate songs to um and so I have affection for it in that way but mostly just the 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 lyrics um, are really great. And I, I really, really love the chorus. Yeah. The lyrics are fantastic. Um, I think, I think part of it for me is like the lyrics are what stand out. Um, and I think for me, this song feels more like a poem than a song. I feel like the, just the way it's written, it's absolutely beautiful. I think the music itself doesn't get me as much as, as the lyrics and storytelling yeah. do here. It's interesting that you mentioned that this feels more like a poem to you because I felt that exact thing about a different song on this album, Happiness. Um, uh. Happiness is one of those tracks on this album that I am not connecting to. Um, it's, you know, with Taylor Swift and probably with most artists, but like Taylor Swift specifically for me, her songs are good musically conceptually and or lyrically right like you have they sometimes a song has all three sometimes it only has one happiness is a song where it's like i love the concept i love the ideas that she's trying to convey in a song in happiness but lyrically it's just and musically it's just meandering like it there's no i can't really nail it down anywhere it there's no, there's nothing to like come back to, um, 
yeah, it's a little all over the place. And it doesn't feel as much like a song as it does like a poem that she's written that she's just kind of like singing along with. I think it's a fascinating point because I do think I think she rarely misses on lyrical stuff. I think conceptually and musically is usually where if she's going to swing and miss, that's where it's going to happen. Right. Uh, but I, I do agree with you that this is this is a place where like the lyrics stand out. Everything else is kind of meh. I have um, a whole collection of Taylor Swift TikToks that I'm planning on sending you later. And um, one and it's like, you know, all these people reacting to the album with funny things. But one that really made me laugh so hard was this one girl, and she's just laughing to the camera, and she's like, Taylor Swift, I'm not going to be able to learn all these words. Like, <laughs> like <laughs> this album, like, she's like, every word is a different word. <laughs> it's true. And that made me laugh so hard because I really think it applies to a lot of the songs on this album, but especially happiness. Like, she doesn't repeat us like anything. Like she, there's no repetition. It's just like a different word in every single line. Um, so yeah, in, in that way, this one doesn't work for me as much. Although I really wanted it to, because I think, like I said, the concept of it is fascinating and beautiful. And there are some lyrics and happiness that hit me, like do hit me like a gut punch. Like no one teaches you what to do when a good man hurts you. And you know you heard him too. That's an amazing line and an amazing concept for a song is, you know, how to like rebuild yourself after a long marriage relationship and, and how, how to deal with a pain or a hate towards a person who brought you so much love. I really want to hear Taylor Swift's take on all of that. This song is just not one that I'm just going to keep listening to. So another song that like, while I'm being negative, that's just, you know, um, not bad, but just fine is closure. Closure feels like old Taylor Swift. There's, there are times when I'm like, oh, this feels like old Taylor Swift. And I'm using that as a compliment and closure feels like old Taylor Swift. And like, oh yeah, this sounds like one of the tracks that you, she would have put on one of her old albums that I would have listened to, but, you know, not really had a particular affinity for. Really? I see. I see closure as kind of her being super experimental here. So I just think like the way she's using Bon Iver's, um instrumentation and Musically, stuff like that. Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. I just I, I really, I think, admired closure for that. I don't think it hit home as much as I wanted it to. But I, I yeah, I don't think I see that the same way. I was saying when I was referencing it feels like old Taylor, I mean, more like subject matter wise and like lyrically. Yeah, that that is true. OK, I can. Yeah. I can definitely see that from the way that the song is written. Um, lyrically, definitely feels like old Taylor. Um, what other songs do I want us to talk about? I think Lots. I'd like... Go ahead. You yeah, go first. I I think her duets didn't hit as hard for me as I think they, they normally do. Interesting. Um, I think I liked Evermore. Um, I just didn't like it as much as her collab with Bon Iver on the, on the previous album. Um, yeah. I think her song with the Nationals, Coney Island, is uh not great i i just i just really it didn't connect with me at all and then nobody no crime featuring haim um felt like it was truly just her song with them doing some some background harmonies and stuff like that it didn't it didn't feel like an actual collaboration which i think is that that's on me those are my expectations right. that i was kind of bringing to that so i was really excited for her to do a song with haim so it's it it, it is what it is there yeah let's start with nobody no crime um this isn't like 
my favorite song on the album, but it's so fun that I'm really glad it's here. You know what I mean? Um, I like, I am very excited to have Taylor Swift put something, put like, um, a murdered husband song into her like archive, right? Like that's, I'm excited that that exists in the world now. Um, it's fun. I always love those kind of songs. The, someone on TikTok pointed out that, the musical intro to Nobody No Crime um, sounds very similar to Should Have Said No from her mm. first album about, you know, cheating. And you can, like, sing Should Have Said No over that um, intro to Nobody No Crime, which is very cool to me. Like, as someone who really is nerdy about things, like, reappearing throughout an artist's work... Stuff like that really gets me. And so that's cool. Um, but yeah, Nobody No Crime is just like a very fun song for me. Um, Coney Island, I I think like I feel differently about it every time I listen to it. <laughs> and that's exciting to me also. Like I definitely like it. Um, but there are times when I like it for different reasons. And um, I didn't expect to like a song with the national because every time I've ever tried to listen to the national, I never really gotten into it. And I was surprised at how much I really liked him singing with Taylor. Um, and yeah, I really like it mostly though. I'm probably really fond of Coney Island because there's certain lyrics on it that just, I think are amazing. And also another thing that, you know, is just, um, that I really enjoy is I really love hearing, like a deep male voice sing Taylor Swift lyrics. <laughs> um, that really works for me. And so, and you know, that just might be my, like a very base brain chemistry thing, but I can't help it. Um, one of the lyrics that I adore in Coney Island is, um, um, that both Taylor Swift and Matt Berninger sing together, um, is, because we were like the mall before the internet. It was the one place to be. The mischief, the gift wrap, suburban dreams. Sorry for not winning you an arcade ring. I mean, I I do love like a suburban ennui. <laughs> like, uh, I'm I'm excited. I do enjoy that in her writing. And so um, that's, I think, very fun to me. And then the other thing as like a Taylor Swift, like, like you know, celebrity relationship amateur historian that I am her bridge is um really really exciting so I I'm very curious if you understood all the references in the bridge that is happening uh no not at all do you <laughs> do you want to know or you're like no I really oh, don't no, care no no ignorance <laughs> okay. is bliss but let's do this okay well great so in the bridge so this song kind of feels like generally it's about like someone who's emotionally dealing with a breakup right and being like what happened you know how did this end that kind of stuff and i think at first it sounds like a like someone dealing with a very specific breakup but then when you get to the bridge she basically references like all of her major celebrity exes in it at the same time um and that kind of like leads you to believe like oh this is just her kind of waxing poetically about like how do all of my relationships end, you know, um, kind of lumping them all together into one song. I think it's very cool. So, 
Um, so I don't know about anything for where you standing at our old spot in the tree line by the clock, but when she says, did I leave you hanging every single day? Were you standing in the hallway with a big cake? Happy birthday. That's a reference to Jake Gyllenhaal, um, because it's like known that she wrote a song about Jake Gyllenhaal missing her birthday party when she was dating him. And, like, that being upsetting to her, okay? I didn't know she dated Jake Gyllenhaal. Yes. Oh, my God, Lucas. I know there's a list of famous people that she's dated that I just don't know about. I know that, but you should know that she dated Jake Gyllenhaal because he is the inspiration for All Too Well. Recognized as, like, her greatest song. I, that's, how old is he? She was young. She was, I think, 21. Ugh, I don't like that. Yeah, it was, there was an age gap. Um, she dated a lot of older guys when she was young. She, um, yeah. The next line actually is a reference to John Mayer, who she dated when she was 19. I um, did know about John Mayer. Yeah. So the next line is, I paint your bluest skies the darkest gray. And in her song, Dear John, um, she has a line called, you paint me a blue sky. Um, and yeah, so that's like a very clear reference to him. Um. I can't believe you didn't know she dated Jake Gyllenhaal. He, <laughs> that's like the big one. Like, not their relationship wasn't long, but it's so significant because he inspired all too well. Anyway, so then the next, the next, she says, and when I got into the accident, and the side that flashed behind, before me was your face. So that references Out of the Woods, um, which is about her and Taylor, uh, her and Harry Styles. Um, getting into snowmobile accident uh, together. I didn't know she dated Harry Styles. Oh, you're killing me. You're killing me? Yes, she and Harry Styles did date. Um, a lot of, like, the 1989 songs are, like, said to be inspired by Harry Styles. Wondering a whole lot of things. Yeah. But I don't love. Yeah. <laughs> and here, I'll just say it, like, I there's no basis for this. This is just purely a fictional thing that I've, like, built in my head. But part of my affection for Cowboy Like Me is that if she, if this is an album where she's kind of like referring to old relationships and like tapping into feelings she had during old relationships, Cowboy Like Me feels like a Harry Styles song. Um, it feels like I've always viewed them as a very interesting pairing because I think they're very similar. You know what I mean? Like I think they're very similar performers and writers and souls. Um, and they, and talent wise, like they're both these like mega energy storages of talent. Um, and so I could see a song like that being saying, saying like, I see in you what I see in myself and, you know, and so I, I really enjoy that song. Um, okay. And then the last one in this bridge is, but when I walked up to the podium, I think that I forgot to say your name. Um, that is when she was accepting some, some award and um, either he forgot to say, he forgot to thank her in an award when he was accepting, or she forgot to thank him. One or the other. Like, one of them accepted an award and didn't thank the other one. Um, and it was, you know, like, a notable thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so, like, I think, so there's all these, like, little references, right? And the, both, both she and Matt Berninger are singing them. And that's kind of cool for him to be singing references about her exes, you know? Um, I, I just enjoy, like you know, having the knowledge of all of these things and having it culminated, right? <laughs> <laughs> for me, Coney Island works for that reason. Yeah, sorry, that was, I went on a tangent. No, I'm, I'm sure there's somebody out there who knew all that and really got into that. 
I mean, one of these days, if not today, I really just need to set you down with a timeline of all the celebrities that I, she's dated. I think not. I don't think I need that. I, oh, I think you do. I don't think I do. I think she's dated a lot of famous people. And I think uh, knowing who all of these songs were written about uh, taints them in a way that I'm not sure I love. That. <laughs> I see. Well, sorry that I just ruined some stuff for no, you. Really? It's, um, it's not a big deal. The thing about Taylor, though, is like a lot of this is some of it is like confirmed like through specific details but so much of it is also like fan theory right like you're just you kind of like just start getting a sense like oh when she sings about this color she's probably referencing this x like yeah and see that's the part that i don't care about like i'm much more interested in building that world myself um than hearing uh, from her <laughs> about it i love it it's like a rich world you oh, know oh totally and i don't i definitely don't mm. judge anyone gotcha for well, loving it. um so uh, well there's a little bit more of that in another song that i want to talk about which is long story short um how do you feel about this song i think it's good i think it's i think for me it's a little plotting um it doesn't have as much i think interesting things going on but yeah. it's good i think it's so catchy i love how catchy it is in fact when i first listened to it i really loved it and i was like oh this is definitely a jack antonoff song and I was so surprised that it wasn't. I still am shocked that it's not an Antonoff song. <laughs> yeah. Um, Aaron Dessner, baby. But I nevertheless adore it. And um, yeah, there's there, I won't get into it just so that I won't ruin any, you know, ideas for you. But there's there's very specific reference to a specific um, celebrity relationship she was in in the chorus of this one um, that I think is very fun and interesting. And yeah, it's just a very... It's a fun song. It's like her most danceable song on the album. <laughs> no, I don't know. One thing I definitely want us to talk about is that I don't really cry when I listen to music. That's not something that typically happens. Um, I, I'll cry at a movie or a book easily. But with a song, it, it takes a lot to get me there. And the last three Taylor Swift songs, or albums, have all had songs on them that have made me cry. Um... And they're songs that I think that are so beautiful and good, but I find myself skipping them constantly just for my emotional, like, well-being, you know? Um, and so on Lover, it was um, Soon You'll Get Better. Mm -hmm. And then on Folklore, it it is Epiphany. Epiphany I can handle a little bit more, but it's still a very, like, sad song. Um on Evermore, she has two of those songs, which is um, Tolerate It and Marjorie, but more so Marjorie. Um, how did you feel about those two? Tolerate is is really great. I think Tolerate um, fits that same vibe as Epiphany. Um, I think the lyrics are fantastic, and it's really got that kind of pulsing drive that um, I think yeah. really carries you through that song. I, I like it a lot. Marjorie, I don't think I've dug into as much as you have, but it's good. I, I, I definitely enjoy it. It's not something that I've been – it's not one of the ones I've been re-listening to, I think, at the moment. Mm -hmm. Marjorie, I, I almost can't even – figure out how good or great it is because every time I listen to it, it just makes me really think about my own grandmother and like that emotional, what it evokes in me emotionally is so strong that I can't even really think about how good it actually is. You know what I mean? Um, but that alone I think is very noteworthy that it's able to do that. Um, so I, I think it's really beautiful tolerate it i think is really really strong i think it's uh, i i think 
again, like I mentioned earlier, that's a song where it's like conceptually, lyrically, musically, it's it hits all three. Um, it's like so mature and painful. Um, I, I I really really am impressed with it. Yeah, I'm trying to think of other things. And oh, I, we forgot to talk about Evermore with Bon Iver, um when we were talking about all the duets. Um, you know, that's a song that the first time I listened to it, I thought, this isn't really saying anything similarly to Willow, but it sounds really good because Bon Iver's on it. And like, whenever he sings, you're like swept away. Right. And then after listening to it a few more times, I was started to get it in the way that I'm still wanting to get Willow. I'm starting to get Evermore. I'm starting to like the understand it and like process how it's a song about just going through something incredibly painful and finding a person to help pull you through it. Um, and, but I do think that like the bone of versus slash, you know, you know, backup singing on it is what makes, pulls the song into something special. Um, yeah. I think he saves that song. I think he's great on it. I think it's, um, I, I like it more than you do. I think, I think, it, I think it's a great closing track. It's got kind of that fairy tale vibe for me and I like it. I don't like it as much as um, their track on folklore though. Yeah. The, uh, there's truly one last song I want to talk about. Cause I don't remember if you mentioned it at the beginning. Did you meant to say anything about champagne problems? No, I, I actually hadn't mentioned that. How do you feel about it? I like it. I think t- to me, it's, it, it reminds me of Mirrorball on folklore it's one of those songs that is good mm-hmm. um and but i but i but i don't revisit it's not one that i would go back and pick but if it comes up in the rotation um it's one i'm excited to listen to for sure champagne problems i love like again <laughs> the concept i love the story like the story that she's building um the problem with champagne problems is that the the first the verses and the chorus are just fine and then the bridge is so incredible. Like the song, you're just listening to it so that you can get to the bridge. And she's she's known for writing like amazing bridges, but this is you know really surprising to me how amazing the bridge is compared to the rest of the song. Um, and I I almost wish that like we didn't have the song and like this was just like a 30 second track that was just this bridge you know like or something similar you know something where it was just like hey i just have like a really great you know short piece that you're gonna just play over and over you know um that bridge is incredible and it has my favorite line on the album which is sometimes you don't know Sometimes you just don't know the answer till someone's on their knees and ask you. She would have made such a lovely bride. What's a, what a shame she's fucked in the head. Um, I think that is like great Taylor Swift writing, and it feels relatable. And I, even though I've never been engaged or proposed to, um, I really love it. And like I said, I was surprised at how much how in love I am with this bridge compared to how like meh i feel about the rest of the song she writes a good bridge yeah she really does i'm gonna still li- i'm gonna be listening to this album probably every day for the next few months um so i even though i'm more critical of it than i was of folklore i really am in love with so many of these songs and just really excited that taylor swift is in this like 
you know, prolific period. Yeah, I mean, if she wants to throw out a third one, I would not say no. There were a lot of rumors about a third one, and I don't know. She hasn't, like, officially discounted them, but she was on Jimmy Kimmel last night. Uh, have you heard any of the things about Woodvale? Uh, no, not at all. Okay, so this this isn't that big of a deal. But, like, basically, I think the word Evermore was kind of embedded in some album artwork in folklore. Um, so people thought, like, oh, she hit, she hit a clue, right, that Evermore was coming. Um, and someone found the word Woodvale kind of hidden in one of the album artworks. And so a lot of people were theorizing that a third album named Woodvale was coming. And she went on Jimmy Kimmel last night and just, like, made it clear that Woodvale was the code name for folklore when she was making it. And that she's like, literally that piece of artwork that has Woodvale still on it is just one where we forgot to erase the name Woodvale. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And she was very charming in this interview, but she kind of explained, she was like, you know, I really love the hunt and leaving these Easter eggs, but sometimes I go too far and it like bites me in the butt. (laughs) And um, so, yeah, so she she seems to be dispelling the rumor that like Woodvale is going to be a third album that's coming, but she didn't specific explicitly say that there wasn't a third album coming. Um, so I don't know. I'm interested. I I don't know if there's a third album coming, but I do think there is more music coming. Um, there's been a lot of theories about like certain things that she's tweeting lately. Um, she's using the slash character. As, like, you know, oftentimes Lyric has, like, breaks apart lines with those slashes. She's been using that in some of her tweets and responses to people. um, Which, and and they're usually in tweets that have lines in them that sound kind of lyrical. So there's a, people are wondering if there's some, something more to come. um, (laughs) Which I can't wait for. I'll take it. Yeah, at this point I will take whatever she's willing to give us. Now that we've like gotten Taylor Swift a little bit out of our system, do you want to move on and talk about Let Them All Talk? Let's do it. Okay. So we've talked about this on the podcast before because you and I have both very much been anticipating Let Them All Talk, Steven Soderbergh's newest film starring Meryl Streep, Gemma Chan, Diane Weist, Candice Bergen, and um, Lucas Hedges. My boy. Our boy. Our boy, Lucas Hedges. Love it. Love (laughs) Lucas Hedges. Um, in fact, I think, I don't remember, it was a podcast or two ago when I think I declared myself more of a Lucas Hedges girl than a Timothy Chalamet girl. Yeah. Um, which I, ever since I said that, it has been on my brain. Like, is that true? And yes, I think it's true. We'll get into it. But uh, first, I just want to know, like, right off the top, Lucas, how did you feel about Let Them All Talk? I think I have to start by talking about Steven Soderbergh. He's my favorite director. And I think recently he's been doing a lot of fun, interesting projects. He's been working with a lot of streaming services, doing a lot of experimental stuff, playing around with um, just shooting things cheaply. Yeah. And I think mostly what he's doing is he's trying to take some of these smaller mid-budget movies and um, pairing them with really great actors. (laughs) So getting awesome talent in these kind of lower tier, lower tier is the wrong word, smaller budget movies, but again, not small budget. Um, And then just 
having some fun. So doing some adult dramas, which are great. So recently, besides Seth, Let Them All Talk, he did The Laundromat um, and... High Flying Bird. He came Yes, High Flying Bird. Right? He did the Mosaic uh, Experimental TV show with HBO. Um, he did Unsane, which That's is... not for us. Not our vibe. Um, haven't seen that one. But his last like big production was Logan Lucky, which did not do well in theaters, Even but was though a great it's an movie. movie. Um, I think... Yeah he's having a lot of fun doing these things and i think let them all talk it takes place on a cruise ship in one week he shot it in one week on the actual cruise ship with people actually taking the cruise um and he's doing his own cinematography and editing and i just think he's really just trying to get some good stories out which i i think is a blast and i don't think all of his movies are exceptional or anything like that but each one that comes out I'm excited about and and like afterwards, which I think is a, is a great thing to say about any director. So Let Them All Talk, I think, is so much fun. And like I said, it's about an author who ends up taking a cruise from New York to uh, England to accept an award over there. And on the mean and on the in the meantime, she's writing a book um, and she t- she brings her her two best friends and her nephew um, and it's just a relationship story and it's about her relationship with them, his relationship kind of getting to know these women. Um, he's, he's awesome in this movie. (laughs) He's basically just a young, sweet boy who is just, he kind uh, of has like a, a romantic view of the past and like an age without technology. Yeah. He romanticizes, um, friendship and those relationships. And so he's trying to learn from these women. So I just, I just thought the whole thing was, was beautiful. It was a lot of fun. I don't think it's something that I like absolutely loved, but uh, again, like Steven's all Steven Soderbergh's stuff. Um, I'll, I'll revisit it for sure. How about you? How'd you feel about it? Yeah, I loved this movie. I, you know, you know, earlier when we were talking about the song happiness on Taylor Swift's Evermore album, um, and I described it negatively as like meandering, this movie is meandering in all the best ways. Like, I'm happy to meander with it. I'm happy to bounce around from conversation to conversation and just sit and be with these characters and these performers in this setting. Um, and that's, like, kind of all I need. Like, this story, this movie does have a story and it is, I think, has, like, really profound things to say and is good but um did you are you familiar with like the tweet meme format um that just says like must a movie be good is it not enough to see blank on a big screen huge have you heard of that yeah so uh, that is something that's that's a a sentiment that is really stuck in my brain whenever i'm watching a movie um, and that kept coming up over and over again as i was watching let them all talk you know I, I, as I was watching it, I would think to myself, like, is it not enough to see Meryl Streep and Lucas Hedges eat breakfast together on a big screen? Huge. <laughs> is it not enough to see Candace Bergen in a Longhorn t-shirt on a big screen? <laughs> huge. You know, like there were just over and over so many things like <laughs> like that. It is enough for me for to just watch these legendary actresses do their thing on a glamorous, beautiful ship with really beautiful score, you know? Like, those things alone are enough for me to have a great time at the movies. And 
Um, so it's those plus like really beautiful storytelling. So I, yeah, I loved this movie. And as far as the story goes, I know like there's a lot of talk about like there wasn't a script. The script was basically just a layout. Um, a lot of the dialogue was improvised. Um, but I mean, Steven Soderbergh worked with Deborah Eisenberg on on creating this story and and making sure that it that, that it was fashioned in a way that 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 makes a lot of sense and so a lot of the dialogue is very naturalistic and everything i also think from what i read with an interview with him and deborah eisenberg is that like it's it's kind of an exaggerated a little bit how improvised it was though at the same time she was on the cruise with them like most of the time a writer submits a script and then like you know says goodbye she was on the cruise with them and Mm -hmm. i think she was also like improvising dialogue as a writer for her, the perform, you know, I don't think it's like as mumblecore as yeah. it sounds in the, like when people describe it. No, you know? definitely, definitely. That's I think um, that's why I stayed away from the word mumblecore is because like it's absolutely not that. Like it was, right. it's definitely like, pitched with the writer. I, I see it more as like bullet points of like there are lines that have to be hit, and the the sentence is structured. There around are certain that. scenes that I imagine the actors are just kind of coming up and reacting with their own dialogue, but I think there's a lot of scenes that are clearly written. Um, and maybe the other act, like one person will say a clearly written section of dialogue and another actor might, you know, react naturally to mm-hmm. that, you know? I, um, I the, the way it sounded to me was like, here are three things that you have to say in this conversation. <laughs> like, here are three lines. <laughs> and the yeah. rest of it, just build your own world around it. And and so, like, I think I think that I could start, I could feel, I was feel like this is something that is very specific that they had to say. And what's built out around it feels very natural and, like, Im- I've again improvises is the wrong words, but it feels like they kind of built this conversation um, based off a very simple scaffolding. Yeah. Um. Well, what's interesting to me about that is that like you can only do that with really talented actors, right? Because you have to trust your actors to like create good content, you know. Yeah. Um. And the fact that you have not only Lucas Hedges and Meryl Streep in this movie together, but that they are sharing so many scenes with each other is really marvelous. Because when I think of actors that you would want to trust with that responsibility, they are the two that definitely come to mind. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, they are they so... They're, they're actors that are so... I, can't, I love watching... Literally every second of both of them. Um, Like, and watching them act together, it really made me think, like, how similar of performers they are. Um, I, after seeing this movie, maybe this is, like, you know, me being over the top, but I kind of do think that Lucas Hedges might be the Meryl Streep of his generation. Um, Wow. Both. We shall see. We, I mean, we'll see. It's, it's early. He's very young. Um, but both in like, I think he's incredibly talented and, but also just in like the way he acts and the style reminds me of Meryl Streep, his ability to be, to evoke like pain, but also be really funny, I think is very much like her. I think they both react so strongly to things in ways, in small and big ways that I, I love watching, um, I could have just watched them eat breakfast and chat about life. Uh, Part of me kind of wishes that was the whole movie. 
Um, <laughs> I think the rest of the movie is also like there's so much to love in it. Mm-hmm. But I loved those scenes so much that I really kind of would have enjoyed a movie just about a young man and his aunt go on a cruise together and, yeah. and like get to know one another deeper, you yeah. know? Like, if that was just the movie, if it was before Sunrise, but, like, with an aunt and a nephew, I, I then it would be the, my favorite movie of the year. <laughs> um, yeah, I just can't say enough good things about Lucas Hedges. I love watching him. He's great. Um, I think I, I, I definitely want to talk about, like, some of the plot points, but I think overall, um, I think the plot itself was wasn't something that I was super interested in. And so like, like you said, like the relationships that were, you know, in this movie is really what I was drawn to. And so I think what holds it down for me is the plot itself. And we can talk more about that in spoilers, but um, yeah. I, I, again, I would never call this a bad movie at all. I really enjoyed this movie a lot. Um, yeah. I just don't think that it's um, anything great. Mm. I think it's, I think it's secret. I think it's secretly great. Yeah. You know, like, as I was watching it, because there's not, like, this driving plot, and I'm watching it at home, like, I'm watching all of my movies now, um, I found myself, sadly, like, falling into the trap of, like, checking my phone while the movie is happening, mm-hmm. you know? And I hate when I do that, um, and I try not to do that, and I think, like, normally that's a sign that a movie isn't good, you know, if, yeah. the, if I'm doing that a lot. But I don't think that's the case with this one. I think that this movie is secretly great. Um, and if I had been in a movie theater, I, you know, it, I feel like I would have reacted even more strongly to it. Yeah. Um, I just also, before we get to spoilers, I would just want to say that, like, of course, Candace Bergen and Diane Weist are, like, incredible in this. Like, Candace Bergen is playing, like, um, a certain type of, older Texas woman that feels <laughs> so real to me, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, and I love her portrayal of it. Um, and Diane Weist has a little monologue that we'll talk about in spoilers that really just blew me away. And um, I, yeah, I just, they're so great. And watching them do even the smallest things was a joy. Um, I also just want to say that like, I haven't seen a ton of Steven Soderbergh movies, but the ones that I have seen, I have such a strong affection for. And he might be like one of my favorite filmmakers whose work I haven't seen that much of. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Um, and this movie very clearly is like, oh yeah, that's why I love Steven Soderbergh. Steven Soderbergh. I love how he shoots. I love how he's not afraid to like, just like show glamour, you know, yeah, um, in a way that really works, but doesn't feel obnoxious or over the top or too indulgent. Mm-hmm. Um, I love the music that he picks out for his movies. And my favorite little signature thing that he does in this film several times that I, I remember him doing in his other wor- works is he oftentimes shoots two people talking without including any of the audio of the actors. You yes. just have music yep. and you're seeing two people talk. And I think that's a trick that works really well in a lot of his movies. But in this movie in particular, I really loved it. I loved 
as an audience member getting to use my imagination and come up with what I think, how that conversation, those conversations are going. Um, it, they worked for me really well, very much so. Yeah, I 100% agree. I think in a movie like this where the dialogue does feel very natural and realistic having a having scenes where you don't have any dialogue you still get the feel for it like it's it's set up so perfectly to understand exactly the conversation that they're having but you get to just <laughs> um i guess vibe with the emotions that they're giving off um as opposed to really hanging on the dialogue itself yeah um is there anything else you want to talk about before we go to spoilers i don't think so well then let's get started before we get started does anyone want to get out are you paying attention it's your last chance to walk away let me tell you what's gonna happen. No, cracking gas. Spoilers. Remember, you wanted this. Before we talk about plot, or I'm trying to think, we should talk about plot first, or just like our standout moments. Do you have a preference? I I do want to talk about the plot real quick, and then let's, as let's part start of with that, plot. We can dig into the standout moments. Yeah. Um, so Meryl Streep's character is writing another book. Um, people are assuming that it is a follow up to one of her other books that she's written her um, most famous book specifically they're wanting it to be one of the most famous books um which um uh, candace Bergen's character believes is based on her life and because of the release of that book it kind of ruined her life what is interesting to me is that we don't really know what the plot of that book is or yeah. really what it involved from candace Burgess's life um right. it doesn't it doesn't matter at all um it's more about kind of where is this relationship now and where is it going and i i really liked that element of it is we're not digging into the specific details and those details don't matter. Um, it's just how Candace Burgess feels about it and what she's after. Um, and where I think it gets weird for me with this plot is none of the, or well, Candace Burgess is invested in it and um, uh, Gemma Chan is invested in it at the beginning. And Gemma Chan mostly stops caring, it feels like, what <laughs> kind of happens. Because she kind of gets on this boat as well as, like, I'm going to confront her. I'm going to ask her about, you know, what is this book about? We need to we, we need to know because she's republished this. And by the end, and like, it's set up very clearly at the beginning that, like, this is her one shot. Um, right. She's going to be in huge trouble with her job if this doesn't kind of come through. Um, and then she just kind of stops. Like, well, I she think gets it, I think about convinced. halfway yeah, she 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 gets involved with Kelvin Cran. What's his name? Kelvin Cran. Yes, <laughs> another author on board who's basically like, no, no, do not confront her on this cruise. That's a terrible idea, which I agree with. Um, but there's not really a, a a what what's next kind of a thing, and so the rest of the movie, I feel like she's just kind of like hanging out with Lucas Hedges, which is cool to see. But I don't, I don't get like a well. But then she like, does talk to Meryl. She does eventually, but I, I'm I'm talking about like up until that point because that's near the end of the movie when she finally does talk to to Meryl Streep. Um, so I just feel like most of the movie she's just kind of like hanging out. Like I guess I'm not going to talk to her, and, and I and I wish that reveal had kind of come later. If like the whole movie had been her getting up the courage to talk to Meryl Streep, and then near the end. Um, Cranston basically being like, that's a terrible idea. Don't do it. And then immediately running into Meryl Streep. I feel like that would have played mm. better because I was really invested in her and Lucas Hedges' relationship. It just didn't... Um, I wanted it to... F I wanted to be more conflicted about it, I think is what I wanted. I wanted it to feel like this could be more explo ex exploitive, exploitive mm. on her part. Um, but to me, because she didn't kind of have that, that drive, it, it just felt like, okay, well, they're hanging out again, which is cool. Yeah. I feel like I liked how subdued that plot line was. Yeah. 
I think that's what make I think that's what I like about this movie is that this movie isn't the kind of movie where you're like there's all these stakes, you know, like <laughs> you're just here along for this sh- cruise ride, you know, like everyone's just kind of moving along at the same pace and I don't know, that I think that that endears me to it. Um what did you think about the whole plot line of Candace Bergen desperate for money trying to ad- snarl yeah. men on this cruise ship i loved it wanting I, this apology from um meryl streep's character yeah i love everything about candace burgess in this movie i think what she was doing was awesome like what getting to see her <laughs> conversations with these men um oh. was so fun um and then also her conversations with diane weist i thought were absolutely great very interesting yeah. to me um and her kind of it's, this whole building up to her confrontation with Meryl Streep. I, I loved it for me. That was more of the driving, um, plot, I guess, of the movie. Um, for me is, is their relationship. Um, and I don't know. I, I, I thought it was great. I thought it was perfectly executed. Yeah. You know, what was so interesting is, um, you know, there, Meryl Streep has these two college friends that she hasn't talked to in several years. Right. And I have two best friends that I met in college that, like, um, I actually have two different sets of two best friends from college, <laughs> um, which is also kind of fun. So I'm in, like, two different threesomes, so I should, you know, could, yeah. we could say. Um, so it really made me think about those friendships and, like, is this my future, you know? Like, am, is this what our group of friends is destined toward? Um which one am I? Like, which one? Who, 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 which character do we all fall in line with? Yeah. Um, I think that made for like a juicy line of thinking. And, um, I really was fascinated, like the Lucas Hedges character, to be like, what does a 50 year old friendship look like? Um, what resentments get built up? How do you lose touch? How do you regain touch? How, you know, there's a line where Candace Bergen says, to Diane Weiss, like about Meryl Streep. She's like, did she always talk like that? Or maybe <laughs> yeah. one of the, maybe it's flipped. Yeah. And they're reveling in the fact that like their close friend com- speaks in an entirely new way. And is it fake? Is it not? You know, it really just makes you start thinking about your future and whether that's what lies ahead for you. Right. Yeah. Um, and like they, I mean, Lucas Hedges, like you said, dives into this a little bit more with them, but like, the fact that they are they have been friends for what did they how long did they say 50 years i yeah, think yeah 50 years um and they haven't seen each other in like 30 yeah like that is something that's obviously i, I can't imagine that i'm not at right. the point in my life where that is obviously a possibility and so it's just not like <laughs> um and so i i also was just so curious about these relationships and what is it what does it feel like to you know to to live a life like that and to to have someone who you're extremely close with and have you know called your best friend for this long and not have seen each other in so long and so people change i mean I, you didn't you didn't go to your 10 year uh high school reunion no, did you absolutely okay. not yeah uh, <laughs> are you planning on going to your 10 year college reunion no um here's what I, we, my friends and I have talked about how it would be fun to create like a mini college reunion with just people we invite, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but not like a, a, a authorized, like full one. Yeah. 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 No, I, I, I totally get it. like our, our tenure, 
our 10 year college anniversary is this year it's coming out up yeah. and so um i am definitely not i think going <laughs> to no. do anything for it but i like that idea of like people there are people that you think about that are still that age and in that you know that that's that's the life that you picture for them and they have completely changed even in the 10 years that we <laughs> um have yeah. you know been gone from college and so imagining 30 years and then getting to back together with those people to me sounds one exhausting and two just completely interesting to me <laughs> yeah. so getting to watch it play out here i think is a ton of fun that i i just i really enjoyed that well and i feel like we see a lot we've seen a lot of movies of like college friends reuniting after being away from each other for a long time mm -hmm. but rarely at this age yeah. right yeah and that's what's so fascinating. I also wanted to mention the fact that, like, I really loved the portrayal of the mystery writer, Kelvin yes, Franz. absolutely by, loved that. <laughs> the actor's name is Daniel Algrant, um, who I don't even think he's, like, an actually an actor. I think he's something else, maybe a director or a... Yeah. yeah. I'm not sure exactly. Yeah, I think he's, like, a director and a writer. Um, but he... I, I loved his that portrayal. Um, I love so charming, so charming, and just seeing the contrast of two authors—one very yeah. like highbrow, keeps themselves self, self aloof, and one like very down to earth mystery life writer that everyone just adores and is the most charming and nicest person in this yeah. entire movie. It's so great. So David Ehrlich, um, the film writer, he wrote a review of this movie that I really loved in which he compared um, the Kelvin Kranz character and Meryl Streep's Alice Hugh character as sort of like metaphorical figures for Steven Soderbergh and David Fincher. Um, mm, yeah, the two are friends, and he and in, in this in David Ehrlich's review, he mentions this interaction that the two of them have had, where Steven Soderbergh kind of like watched David Fincher editing and was kind of like, I had to like leave the room, it stressed <laughs> me out so much. Um, and so and they're just completely different in the way that they approach filmmaking. David Fincher is mm -hmm. like fastidious, and every word and um, image like has to be precise and. Um, and Steven Soderbergh is a little bit more like fly by your pants, try a lot of new things, um, produce tons of content. Whereas David Fincher, you know, takes his time in between projects. Um, and so like, we, it's a fun thing to like, think of Steven Soderbergh's take on those two different kinds of artists. Um, yeah. especially when he's talking about writers specifically and how this is his movie about writers, just as David Fincher made a movie about a writer. <laughs> yeah. Um, it is fun to see that side by side. Yeah. Very cool. And, and, and I'm not saying like, I don't, we don't know for sure that that's Steven Soderbergh's intention, you know, like no, to put a mirror up to himself and David Fincher. But um, I think they're fun comparisons to draw um, and to think about. Definitely. And yeah. And so this movie has a lot, I think, to say about, the writing process, you know, and the artistic creative process and, and how that intersects with your personal life. And, um, I, it's to the, I will admit, I don't know that I have like fully formed thoughts about all the things it's trying to say, yeah. but I appreciated being in the conversation. <laughs> totally. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, I think that's kind of how I feel about the movie as a whole is like, I don't know if I like fully have a ton to say about it, but I really enjoyed being there and being a part of this movie. <laughs> and um, I, I mean, it's, I think it's definitely a movie that I'll watch again in the yeah. future. Um, oh, as I was watching it, I thought I could watch a movie like this every single night, you know, <laughs> like not this movie every single night, but like a movie of this caliber with like movie stars and a beautiful setting and dialogue that sticks with me. Like it doesn't have, you know, just like this level of movie um, that's a little low stakes, but exciting to watch anyway could do it one every single day of my life. Yeah. Um, before we go, I do want to talk about just a few pieces of scenes and pieces of dialogue that really like wowed me. Um, and I want to know if you have any of those as well. Um, I will, I'll start the, the one that like immediately comes to mind is Diane Weiss little monologue about Elon Musk and the stars. Yeah. I yeah. mean, what a knockout. <laughs> that's that's obviously one of those moments where you're like obviously this is written like this is not a mumblecore situation like this is written out scripted beautiful dialogue um that's just really i i I didn't like the fact that she used the words elon musk (laughs) that's more of just a personal thing it just like really took me out of the movie of like oh wow elon musk okay yes of course but i think i think the whole the all the dialogue the sentiment around it is just completely beautiful um i also love her conversation with um candace burgess about all really all of her conversations sorry but um, you keep saying candace burgess it's what candace bergen you're right candace bergen yeah i don't know why i keep saying candace burgess (laughs) that's okay i just wanted to i felt at some point i need to say something thank you (laughs) yeah um yeah the conversations he she has with candace bergen around um um around her her not being smart. She doesn't view herself as being mm-hmm. a smart person. Yeah. Um, is this the one where she was saying, like, I didn't see you as this character? Or is that yes, it's a different one? Okay. That, yeah. Yeah. When she's talking about how she didn't see her as yeah. that character. Um, I And and she just, like, the the whole, it's, it's kind of a conversation in two parts. Because it's like telling her that, like, I read the book. I didn't see you. But I'm also, I'm not a smart person. And I'm, you know, I'm not on on you guys like she sees herself as different from them and i just thought that whole conversation was really beautifully done and just like i always feel like in relationships there's always some kind of unequal element like uh, you can see yourselves as equals as friends and things like that but there's always parts of relationships where you're like that person is on a whole other level than i am um, about certain things and i think that that is interesting to see play out here well especially in any three-person friendship like those dynamics are constantly fluctuating and really tender and sensitive, right? Um, I don't know if you're a part of any, like, three-person friendships. Yeah. But, like, it's and maybe I'm generalizing here, but especially I find with women, like, that is something that's, you know, really sensitive. And her character, you know, even Meryl Streep's character constantly trying to find time to catch up with Candace Bergen but never really it seems making any effort to hang out with Diane Weiss. Yeah. It is very like a way that to show like what those power dynamics were in that fr- that social group. Um and so yeah, and I I totally felt that in her character. Even though as she's saying it, like I don't know that I agree with her. Like the way oh, like, yeah. she she seems very smart, you know. And it you're like, oh, 
you see yourself this way, but like from this, from my point of view, I don't see you that way. Yeah. Um, was, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I loved her little ending with the, the Kelvin Kranz character. Agreed. Love that. Yeah. That was my favorite part of the end was getting to see them together. Yeah. <laughs> so great. Um, the ending is very, you know, bittersweet, obviously, because of like the death and Candace yeah. Bergen's character is just so sad, you know, mm-hmm. um, just that phone call with her Ugh. just desperately trying to get any kind of money, you yeah. know, yeah, is really heartbreaking. Um, so it was nice to have the little glimmer of like happy ending with that, you know, with the yeah. mystery writer. Yeah. Um, another like scene that really hit home for me. I mean, a lot of, like I mentioned earlier, the Lucas Hedges, Meryl Streep conversations, I thought were really beautifully done, but the one where she, he kind of admits to her that he, you know, made it in advance on Gemma Chan's character mm-hmm. and it didn't go well. And she basically just kind of has this monologue about how attraction is like all we have in this world and going for it is all we have in this world. And she gets really philosophical about it. And, and then by the end of the movie, you kind of start to understand why she's been, you know, waxing philosophically throughout the film. Mm -hmm. Um, In a way that like, I think before you think, Oh, she's just a pretentious novelist. Yeah. And by the end, you're like, oh, no, she knew she was near an end. And yep. um, so that that scene was really special, even without that context, having knowing that context yet. Um, and then I also loved how there's the scene where she's speaking to the crowd on the boat. Mm-hmm. And in that scene, you think like, oh, she's not really saying anything like. Yeah. She's just kind of like using a lot of pretentious language and but not really making any points and the audience isn't really responding to it, right? Yeah. And then at the very end of the movie she takes we take that exact same scene and all that exact same dialogue, but we're seeing it again knowing the context of her situation and all of a sudden it seems beautiful and poignant and yeah. that's like a fascinating parlor trick, right? Mm-hmm. That like I witnessed that exact scene earlier in the movie with all that same dialogue and I dismissed it as yeah. like, you know, um, and, and now it's evoking this like strong response in me. And like, those are the moments where I'm like, Oh, Steven, so- Steven Soderbergh, you know what you're doing. You're like mm-hmm. really good at this. And what a, like a really fond moment to end on, um, for the movie. Yeah. Um, Yeah. That I I really loved it and uh, it took me by surprise in a lot of ways, but um, I was very happy that it did. Yeah, I agree. Um, do you have anything else you'd like to add about Let Them All Talk before we sign off? I don't think so. I had a okay. lot of fun. I think everybody should watch it. It's on HBO too. Max. Check it yeah. out. This is a great holidays movie. Yeah, watch with your parents. Definitely. This is. I'm always looking for those around this time of year because my parents are picky and have a lot of standards. And so this is one where I'm like, okay, I've got one I can add to the list that at least my mom will like. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. 
All right. Well, Lucas, where can people find you online? You can find me everywhere at Lucas and Stuff. And you can find me everywhere at Sandra Amstutz. My last name is spelled A-M-S-T-U-T-Z. And I'm going to mention one more time, I have a film review posted on hyperrealfilm.club that I'm very excited about. So go check that out there as well. Bye-bye. Thank you. Goodbye, now. Goodbye. Go away. I'll see you soon, okay? That's it. Go home. Yeah. Moving along, Padre. Goodbye, old friend. That's it. That's our show for tonight, people. 